So good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming, and thank you to our hosts for being so gracious as to invite me here. This is the second time I've had this opportunity, and some of you were here at that time, and some of you are new faces to me, so happy to make your acquaintance and to see you again, as respectfully as may be the case. Christopher Prabhu has mentioned that I would talk about a particular verse from the Shikshastakam of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Eightfold Teaching. And um, the reason for that is that I heard yesterday that his good wife wanted me to speak on that. I thought that was a very wise choice of topics. And uh, as we go into that, to the extent that we do, I hope that will come out. Serious, serious request. At the same time, earlier today, I was speaking at another house, and Drista was there, and he mentioned that uh, he hoped I would speak about the Dhammadarastakam tonight, which is something that I spoke about last night, the first verse of that and the prayer in general. And so I've been a little conflicted over this <laughs> dilemma here. But fortunately, there's a thread that connects these two together, the uh, second verse of the Dhammadarastakam and the third verse of the Shikshastakam. They're kind of tied together, if you will, and I'll try to bring that out a little bit and speak briefly about both. So, the Dhammadarastakam is, is uh, generally it would be wise to first speak about Gaur Leela and then about Krishna Leela because Gaur is he through whom we have real access to the depths of Krishna Leela. Gaur here meaning Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Radha Krishna Nahi Anya. The learned have concluded that Radha and Krishna have combined in one form. Mahabhav Rasaraj Dui Ek Rupa. Mahabhav Rasaraj Dui Ek Rupa. Bengali, but in one Ek Rupa, Dui. Two have come. Who? Rasaraj and Mahabhav. Krishna's Rasaraj means. He's the king of rasa, of tasting, the connoisseur of love. And Mahabhav is the fullest expression of that love. So these two, obviously, they go together. The highest expression of love and the highest expression of giving of love, the most complete giving of love, and the complete taker, enjoyer of love. For there to be aesthetic rapture, there have to be two and the two have to become one in a dynamic sense. As we all know, even from our own material example, material experience in life, love is about two becoming one, but the unity of the two is a dynamic unity. You and I fall in love. You and I become we. We become a unit. You don't disappear, and I don't disappear, but our differences disappear. You take my happiness to be your happiness, I take your happiness to be my happiness, something like that. So, at any rate, the combination of Mahabhav and Rasaraj, this is Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and therefore his appearance and precept and so forth and example are all showing the way how to enter into that mysterious relationship of Radha and Govinda, Radha and Krishna. So, generally, you'd like to say something about his Leela, because it shows the way. Not only does it show the way, but if we find our way, 
into Krishna Lila through the Lila of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Lila is sometimes called Acharya Lila. So Bhagavan is acting as the Acharya, as the Guru. God is acting as the Guru and teaching about himself and about what really in a very esoteric sense about what makes him tick, so to speak, using English phrase, what he's all about. Krishna, Ami Purnananda, he says, Ami Purna Brahma. I'm the full Ananda, the complete Brahman, but Radhikar Prem Unmada, the Prem of Radha drives me mad. This is very revolutionary idea. Many people worship Krishna, but to think that Krishna is going mad, that might upset them. It might disturb them. <laughs> that turns the religious world on its head, so to speak. As I've often said, most religious traditions teach in one way or another that God is the most worshipable object. And we differ from them in that we are teaching about the worshipable object of God. That is the idea of Radha, that Krishna is controlled by love. So, as I say, while it may be appropriate to say something about Agora Leela, and therefore you might think this, I should speak about the Shikshastakam verse first, which shows the way to Prem, rather than to speak about the Prem, the love that the second verse of Damdara, Astakam, speaks about. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to speak first about the Dhammadarastakam verse, the Prem. And from the Prem, we're going to draw something about sadhana. From Prem Bhakti, we can learn something about sadhana bhakti. While sadhana bhakti is meant to teach us how to attain, is about attaining Prem Bhakti. At the same time, whatever is found in sadhana bhakti, whatever is found in bhava bhakti, that is found and more in Prem Bhakti. So in Prem Bhakti we can find that about sadhana. And that's how we should read and hear about the Leela of Bhagavan Sri Krishna Radha Govinda. Such a way as to draw inspiration how to apply some teaching from the Leela, how to draw something from the Leela that applies to our life as a sadhaka, that we might go there. In other words, not to hear just for entertainment. It can be charming and interesting. A delightful evening to hear about Radha and Krishna. But if we are to hear with spiritual ears, then we will listen for how we can change our lives to actually go there. Because spiritual life, as I've many times said, is about changing. It's not about staying in one place. You could stay in one place, that's okay. But you have to change your angle of vision. And that is not easy to do. So, the Dhammadarastakam, as we said last night, is a beautiful song. It's written a long, 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 long time ago. It's found in the Padma Purana. And it's also there in the Kartik Mahatmya. And Sanatana Goswami, our, the architect of our lineage, so to speak, under the direction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he singled this out and uh, advised us in his Gaudi Vaishnava Smriti, book about the decorum, behavior, and so forth, of the Gaudias, people in our lineage, the importance of this song and the singing of it during the Kartik Mas, month of Kartika. Kartika is about, it's the month of Radha. Masanam, Margashirshoham, in Sri Gita, Krishna says, of months, I am Margashirsha, means Agrahayana. It is the next month. So, Radha prefaces Krishna. That's why we say, Radha Govinda, Radha Damodar, Radha Madan Mohan, 
Radha Raman, Radha Damodar. In one of my Guru Maharaj's temples, he had a set of deities called Kishore Kishori. It was backwards. Kishore is first, and then Kishori. So one of his students asked, well, how come it's backwards? He said, save the best for the last. <laughs> so, there's no way around it, in other words. <laughs> Radha's first, foremost, let us say. She is the energizing principle of the Absolute that causes the Absolute to take of such a form as charming as Krishna and dance and abandon, rather than sitting still only as Brahman, peacefully with nothing to do, no excitement. You know, some philosophers reason that if you have no desire, nothing to gain, then why move? And therefore they advocate that ultimate reality is still Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu reasoned further. He said, at some point at which a person who is fulfilled and has therefore no ambition, no desire, nonetheless moves, not out of emptiness, not out of necessity, not out of any lacking, but out of fullness itself. The celebration, if you will, of one's fullness that causes one to just... It doesn't make a lot of sense, maybe, but just to dance and to say, I'm full. <laughs> Haribol. This is Leela. Moving Brahman. Moving. He's everywhere. And moving from one place to the next, or so it appears, at the same time. So this is her month. The month of Radha. Because why? Radha prefaces Krishna. She's in the background of Krishna. And the background really... If we want to understand the foreground, we'll have to look into the background. What is energizing? What is motivating him? So, her month then comes before his month. This Kartik month has been identified with her. Her mother is Kirtida or Kirtika and Kartiki. This is Radha, who comes from Kirtida, Kirtika, wife of Rishabhanu Raj, all the daughters in the Braj were named after the daughters of Daksha. It was the custom. Like Radha, Vishaka, Lalita, Anuradha, and so on. This is the month of Kartik, the month of Radha. And in this month, the devotees take many vows. Urjavrata. Urja is also called Urjamas, the month of Urja, month of resourcefulness. And Urja refers to Radha, the the repository of all resources, the primal shakti. And so during this month, the many vratas rounds relevant to the topic at hand, the second verse of the Tamadarastaka. So it goes something like this, Rudantam Bhuvanetra Yugmam Rajantam Karambhuti Yugmena Satanka Netram Muhushashpakam Patire Kant Kanta Stita Gaiva Damudaram Bhakti Badham After the first verse where Satyabhata Muni has uh, offered his namaskar, namam, ishwaram, namam, not me, ishwaram, namam, ishwaram, satyarananda rupam. He gives us some tattva, some philosophy, to understand what he's going to talk about, which is, without that background, may be misconstrued. Because we hear in the second verse, as he begins his discussion of Leela, or he, he actually continues it from the last part of the first stanza, he says, Rudanta Muhu Netra Yugmam. Crying continuously, Rudanta Muhu, 
netrayugmam, his netrayugmam, crying from both eyes constantly. This is talking about Krishna. So he has said, as I'm mentioning in the first verse, namamishvaram satyadanandarupam. We're talking here about the Ishwar, Bhagwan, whom I offer my respect to, whose auspicious presence I seek to invoke as I begin to write this poem. And he's satyadanandarupam. This is tattva. Do you understand what I mean by that? It means this person who's crying, and as we'll hear, afraid of his mother and so forth, he's satyadanandarupam. Without some tattva, it will be difficult to appreciate what is bhava. We will misconstrue the emotions of spiritual life and the emotive reality of Bhagawan, the love life of Bhagawan, will be misconstrued to be something like ours. We have such relationship. We cry also, but we are not satchidananda rupam. So he wants to preface that, and then he goes into a description of the beauty of the Lord and of the Leela, and now he continues the Leela in the second sound. He says, Rudantamunitra Yugmam. He says, crying constantly with both eyes, as if you could cry with one eye. You may think it's odd why he bothers to say two eyes. Obviously, you can only cry with two eyes. But if you could cry with one eye, you could pretend to cry. It may be pretending you could get tears to come from one and not from the other. It's possible. Try it. Children do it. Actually, children do it. They pretend to cry. They can be a little calculating and they're more intelligent than we think sometimes. To avoid some punishment that might be impending for something they've done, they may accentuate and uh, their emotions and and seek to dissuade their elders, caretakers, well-wishers from, uh, well, to dissuade them from using the rod. So as I said, spare the rod and spoil the child. Sometimes they may convince us to do that against their own interests by falsely kind of feigning a kind of uh, fear or anxiety that's greater than their anxiety really is. So in such instances, they might get a tear to come from one eye, but not from both eyes. It means he's actually crying. With both eyes and constantly, just a pouring of tears. He's actually crying. This is, the author wants to make this point that Krishna is not pretending to cry. He's God. Satsunanandarupam. This is a drama, the Leela, in a sense. But he's so absorbed in this drama that he's forgot that he's Satsunanandarupam. And there's something that's driving that forgetfulness that this song is all about, of course, the bhakti involved. He actually forgets his God. It doesn't disappear. The position doesn't change. But his Godhood and his consciousness of it recedes to the background. And this is necessary for there to be intimacy between Bhagawan and the Bhakta, the likes of which we find in this uh, Vrindavan Leela, this Damodar Leela, motherly love. <laughs> this requires intimacy, and the force of Jashoda's love is so great that even in the face, if it should be shown, of the Aishvari, the majesty of Bhagawan Sri Krishna, what he would do. I mean, in this Leela, he does something wonderful, as we'll hear in other Leelas, he does something wonderful but it doesn't change the measure of her love. Seeing, in other words, his godhood, she just uh, she doesn't think, oh, he's God, I shouldn't be acting like this. Her preem, her love is so strong 
that even if some Aishwarya should come up by which we may be instructed, it does not interfere with her sentiment, her love. This is a little bit different. We find another thing. Here he's fearful. Udantam hunetra yugmam rejantam karambodja yugmena satankanetram. So with his hands, his lotus hand, he's rubbing his eyes and his kajal mascara is falling on the cheeks and he's looking like this with both eyes going. This is where he got practiced with those sidelong glances that he's known for communicating in public in secret ways through the language of love, saying things that wouldn't be appropriate to say in public, but nonetheless need to be said. He got practiced in his early childhood in this. Of course, the story here, of course, is that he, why he's crying, why he's rubbing his eyes, and why he's afraid is because, as we know, this occurred on the Diwali, the day of Diwali, which is the Indian New Year, the day of lights, if you will, the festival of light. Tamasoma Jyoti Yugama, it's like your national anthem. Asatomam Sadgamayo, Tamasoma Jyoti Yugama, Bityamam Amritam Gamayo. Such a noble idea. In India, it's often the children are taught to say this like the Pledge of Allegiance every, every day in school. From like Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, such a wise book. And Tamasoma Jyoti Yugama, from darkness go to light, from Asat. Go to Sat, from that which is unreal, go to the real. From darkness, go to light, from Rityam Amritam. From death to deathlessness. This is Martilokam, place, planet of death. We talked about it this morning because we had a question about death, the nature of death. What is death? Afterwards, I told the questioner, look outside. Isn't it beautiful? You can see this, all the leaves changing. Oh, yeah, she said, it's so beautiful. I said, that is death. You are thinking it is so beautiful. But your death is a problem. It's only an angle of vision. That's all. You change your angle of vision, the problem is over. What is our angle of vision? That we are the enjoyer. That is, the law will not allow that. No, we are not the center. So we will be displaced constantly until we appropriately place ourselves and locate ourselves on the circumference with service to the center. That is a secure position. You can move anywhere on the circumference as long as you're tied to the center. And it's fun. <laughs> Movement is not a problem. Now we're moving, but not centered. And we think we are the center. And there's too many of us thinking like that. So that's a problem. Too many centers. So from darkness come to the light. Diwali, it's something like that. Of course, it's related to Ram Leela and the strong feelings of the Odia Basins, the returning of Ram from exile, 14 years finished today, at this moment, is looking for him as they were. The city, their hearts expressed through the light, the lamplight of their heart really, expressed in the lamps lighting the city for Ram's return. Such feelings for Bhagawan, these are so, so helpful to hear about. They will help, they will form within us a, a sanskar for bhakti, for loving Bhagawan, like those people do. As Ramli, of course, then this Diwali, the day of Diwali is, is the day in which Mother Jashoda was home and preparing the milk for Krishna and nursing him at the same time. Now you wonder, she's Rani of the Gokul, Gokul Rani, of the whole of Gokul. She's the queen and Nanda Baba is the king. 
had an elder brother, Upana, Upananda. And the elder brother, his father's name was Parjanya, like rain, cloud, would rain, mercy, whatever he had, he would give in charity to qualified people also. Such was his nature. So when it came time for his retirement and passing from the world, naturally what he did, according to the Indian custom and system, was that he bestowed the kingdom on his eldest son. He coronated his eldest son, Upananda. The middle son was Nanda. And so Upananda became the king of the cowherds. And what is the first thing that he did as the king? He said to his community of cowherds, he said, I am Upananda. It means, in one sense, I'm a little Nanda. Nanda means bliss. This is the verbal root, Ananda, Nand, root. Upananda, Nanda, Sananda, all of his sons are named like this. They were sources of bliss, expressions of bliss, ecstasy. This is the nature of that whole realm. And so he said, I'm only an Upananda, I'm a little Nanda. And Nanda, the middle son, he is a real Nanda. I make the, my first act as the king, I make him the king. And everyone was very happy with this. So Nanda Maharaj and his Rani Jashoda. And they were uh, very happy, and, and the kingdom was, of Cowherd was very happy, of course, except for the fact that they didn't have a son. They didn't have a son for a long time. And briefly, I'll tell you, there was a problem. Why Nanda Mabha and Jashoda Mai had difficulty conceiving of a son? And they confided in one another and shared notes and found out that they were experiencing the same thing. Nanda Mara said, every time I think of conceiving a son, I think of a son who's more beautiful than Narayan, more charming, has more qualities than Narayan and God. And then I think I'm crazy. I can't have a son like that. So then I lose interest. I think I must be insane. And Mother said, Yashoda Mara said, same thing happens to me. I think like that. We should have a son more beautiful than Narayan, more charming than Narayan, more handsome. Uh, and we could be more intimately associated with him and so forth. It's not possible. So they were religious people, naturally. <laughs> so they decided, well, let's make a vow, like Dwadis of Rat and uh, worship Narayan. and see what happens. So they worshiped Narayan, and then, of course, he allowed them to conceive, and very strictly, Dasodamai followed this vow. Very difficult to follow. Very controlled she was, her senses completely controlled, like a yogin. We'll have to come to that to uh, give birth to bhakti in our life. But after several months of this, then she found that she couldn't control her senses anymore. She had a strong urge for milk sweets and yogurt and butter and sandesh and raskula and rasmalai and uh, sweet rice and so many things. <laughs> so then she realized, oh, I'm very pregnant with a very special person. And he likes sweets, I think. He's very sweet also. So, anyway, Krishna is born in the cowherds. It's a long, long story. I'm just giving a brief uh, detail about it, but uh, one small detail. But anyway, they were a very um, happy couple, and they were the king and queen of Gokul. So, within their own realm, although they were only cowherds, nonetheless, they had maidservants and servants in the household and, and so forth. So you may wonder, why it is that on a day like this, Yashodamai is cooking milk and nursing her son, and then she's faced with the dilemma of the milk is boiling over, shall I put my son down and tend to the milk, or should I let the milk boil over and tend to my son? This is her dilemma. But she didn't have anybody else to attend to the milk. She's the queen. Normally she would, but she didn't because everyone was arranging, as they would annually, for the Indra Yagya. So all the Braj is involved in making big preparations for Indra Yagya. So she's home alone on this day. And, of course, that milk was special milk because, as you know, Krishna had been found to be stealing out 
in the day and going to other neighbors' houses and stealing butter and yogurt. And they would come and complain and uh, take great happiness in making such complaints about Krishna. To Mother Yasoda, your son is coming. Why don't you keep it high? doesn't matter. He goes in high places. Why don't you keep it in the dark? Oh, because he's effulgent and he lights the room up anyway and he can still get at it. And uh, she denied it and denied it and denied it and uh, finally she confided in her husband. It seems like he's sneaking out in the day and you're the king of the cowards and your milk is not good enough to keep him home. So certain special cows were selected and they were raised on special grasses and from that milk Mother Yashoda was boiling on the stove only for Krishna that which is dear to Krishna. And she was left with a choice. Shall I serve Krishna or that which is dear to Krishna? Shall I put him down from suckling my breast, even though he doesn't want to leave it, and tender the milk, or shall I keep him, serve him, and let the milk boil over? She chose Tadiya Seva. Do you understand? That which is Tadiya means that which is dear to Krishna. So serving that which is dear to Krishna, that is more endearing to Krishna, than serving Krishna directly. That's why he says, for example, those who say they are my devotee are not my devotee. But those who say that they are the devotee of my devotee, they are my devotee. Something like that. So, at any rate, this was the night of the uh, Diwali, and the next day is Anukut. And Govardhan Puja, and so it's a harvest festival. And so everyone was out that day preparing for the Indra Yagya, and so on this day, Diwali Krishna was traumatized as a youth. He was torn from his mother's breast by his own mother and put down, as he saw it from his angle of vision. And she went to tend to the milk on the stove. So this, uh, at an impressionable age, so he was uh, psychologically traumatized by this. And as he grew up, of course, then he began to ask, because this thing was happening annually, this Indra Yagya, What's this all about, by the way, this Indra Yogi? He asked of his father, and he probed into it, and he thought, this is the guy who, on account of him, this happened to me in my childhood. Who does he think he is? <laughs> so he wanted to teach him a lesson, and all of us, so many lessons through the Govardhana Lila. These two Lilas are very much uh, connected. Anyway, this is a little bit of the background. So when she let him down, and this is what is bring, coming out in this second stanza, Rudantam Neto Yugmam, Rajantam Shatam This is why he's crying, because she put him down, so he's crying. But that's not enough. Then he said, all right, enough of this. He walked off himself and went and broke the butter pot, even though the butter was kept for him not to take it his whim whenever he wanted, but when she thought it was suitable for him to eat. So then he broke it and was pouring out, and then he took the mortar and climbed up and began to distribute it to the, to the monkeys and so forth, and she came looking for him and saw the broken butter pot, and he had moved on, so she followed his footprints through the yogurt on the floor and found him further conducting himself in a mischievous way and so forth with regard to the butter and the milk, and then... She saw him, and he saw her, and she raised a stick for herding the cows. A common thing amongst the cowherds is rope and stick. Rope and sticks. And so she picked up a stick, and she approached him, and so he's actually crying. Yashoda Biyad, as we described it, he was fearful. And this is the manifestation of that fear. He's crying with both eyes. It's not a fake crying, you're really crying. And rubbing his eyes and looking like this, which back and forth, or, and afraid 
of his mother. Kunti Devi, another relative of Krishna, marveled at this in Bhagavatam, she says. It is marvelous to think that he who fear itself is afraid of has become afraid of Mother Yashoda, really afraid. I'm bewildered by this. Now what to speak of us? We can try to understand it, and we may think we understand it, but now Kunti Devi is, is a realizer, a deep lady, aunt, auntie of Krishna, in a deep, deep lady, such affection she had for him. She could say things like, Vipadabha, Tattva Shashvat, Tattva Tattva Jagad Guru, you know this verse? Uh, and all such things, She could make such statements. This is like great realizer, this lady. She said, she said, I have nothing to fear. All types of fearful situations have come into my life, and largely as a consequence of my attraction to Krishna, but I have no concern about them, because when they occurred, they only caused me to remember Krishna that much more. And remembering Krishna, this ends birth and death. So she was almost practically inviting calamities. We are running away from them like anything, trying to avoid them. She could stand firm in one place and say, let them come. Such is my standing in bhakti and devotion, that they only deepen my attraction to Krishna, my confidence in Krishna. This is the kind of prayers... She prayed, and she made this statement, looking at Jashoda's love for Krishna, the love of the Vrindavan inhabitants for Krishna. She was marveling at that, and she was bewildered by it. She knew him in a slightly different light. She knew he was God. She knew he's my nephew, but he's God. Mother Yashoda just knew he's my son, that's all. He does wonderful things. Yeah, Narayan works through him sometimes. Narayan's God. We worship him on Sunday. We go to church on Sunday. We worship Narayan. But we're preoccupied with Krishna, our son. The extent to which Bhagawan has put himself in the hands of Dashoda was bewildering to Kunti Devi. And this is the extent. This is how she measured it. He's actually become afraid of her. And fear itself is afraid of him. Yad bibeti svayam bhayam, Bhagavad says. Yad bibeti svayam bhayam. Fear itself is afraid of his name. And he and his name, Nam Nami, Nam Nami, no, they're non-different. Fear, of course, is what pervades material existence. There's birth, there's death, there's disease, old age, and there's fear everywhere. Fear is the most all-pervading experience of material life. We see it in the less developed species of life, you know, you just make a movement and they jump and so forth. They're quite jittery often. And uh, it's, it's less so in human society. We have a little bit more freedom. We're like, human life is like being on parole. Other forms of life are like incarceration, so to speak, for the soul. And human life is like being on parole. You have a kind of a chance to be free, but it depends how you conduct yourself, whether you're going to get put back into jail or you're going to become completely free and able to function in the world in relation appropriately to the center, as I say. So, with the freedom comes a little less fear, but nonetheless, fear is behind everyone, all pervasive in material existence, this fear, because it's based on attachment, material life. Our identity, as I said this morning, 
in this life, our I is relative to our sense of my. What I think is mine determines what I think I am. My I, my ego, my identity materially is determined by my my, my son, my country, my daughter, my job, my race, my house, my car. Yes, that's me. I saw that car advertisement. That's me. We'll get, let's get that one. That's me. Or in worst case, that's mine. That the cigarette. That's me. I'm like that. This my makes our I. And because nothing is really ours, <laughs> the sense of I that's derived from our sense of mine is uh, a sense of I that is very, um, well, it's not very secure. Nothing's mine, and I'm learning that constantly. So what am I? Am I nothing? But as we spoke this morning also, we have an identity, and it should be based on my. If it comes to, this is what Yashoda Mahi had, mine. Krishna is mine. This is a very high concept. That same possessiveness that determines our sense of self in material life when directed towards the temporal, my car, my house, my country, my family, and so forth. When directed towards Krishna, it first comes, I'm his. We put ourselves in his hands. I'm his. He can do what he likes with me. But when it deepens to Braj Prem, like Mother Yashoda, he's mine and I can do what I like with him. Kunti is looking at this and going, I, I just can't relate to this. And who's Kunti Devi? Such a high person. We study her prayers. This is a lady we can learn from. And she's reflecting on it. This is why these statements are made in the Bhagavatam, by these kinds of people. This is how Sukadeva has arranged it. Kunti is saying this, not just any person. When we hear what she says, we're getting instruction from a person really, who really in the know, really worth listening to. And this is how she talks about the Braj Lila. That's why Uddhava was sent from Dwarka to Vrindavan. For our sake, in one sense, as I said, within Prem, within the Lila, there's so much to be drawn for the Sadaka. Whatever is in Sadhana Bhakti is also in Prem. So we can draw inspiration for our Sadhana from hearing about the life, the love life of Bhagwan. Uddhava was sent. Who's Uddhava? Uddhava is the advisor of Krishna in Dwarka. Krishna wouldn't make a move without the advice of Uddhava. What do you think, Uddhava? Yes, go there and fight with him. Jarasandha, whomever. Another occasion, no, don't go. Go like this. Well, I think he was, he was his friendly servant advisor. And Shastravit, most learned person. I mean, he's advising Krishna in Dwarka. And Krishna's a prince in Dwarka. He's learned there himself. So this Uddhava is sent to Vrindavan to bring a message to the inhabitants and to the gopis in particular. And when he goes there and he delivers the message and he sees their praying, he's bewildered. Uddhava was reduced to a madman in Vrindavan, wandering in the brudge, singing a couple of songs that he made up about the nature of the love there. And in effect, he then is instructing us Uddhava is. What is the nature of the love of Vrindavan? This is not an ordinary person who's just telling a story about Krishna's, the love of Krishna and Vrindavan. This is the best thing. So Uddhava is saying it. Kunti is saying it. So while we get all this inspiration from Kunti, such a great devotee, we should listen to what she says. She's directing our attention there. This is why Chaitanya Mahaprabhu embraced the Bhagavatam. 
because it takes us to the Braj Lila. It's a crescendo, building up to the Braj Lila and the consummation of the love of Radha and Krishna. And then the whole thing plays out afterwards as an afterthought, Matura Lila, the Dwarka Lila, all to reflect back and shed light on the importance of that Braj Lila. The love of Radha for Krishna, the love of Jashoda for her son. The fact that Krishna actually has become afraid. Kunti is just bewildered by this. Fear itself is afraid of him, and he's actually afraid. Both eyes, with two eyes, he's crying constantly and looking like this in fear. She's just absolutely bewildered by this. This is a condition in Vrindavan where the omniscience of Bhagwan recedes to the background by the force of his devotee's love. For the sake of intimacy, if the finite and the infinite are to come into intimacy, the infinite will have to take a finite appearance in order for that to be possible. Because if you are the infinite and I get close to you, I will think, my God, I cannot get too close. You are infinite. My God, I will be distanced by that. So if you disguise yourself, so to speak, if you come to me on my terms, in finite terms, this is Krishna. He's everywhere. Right? He's Brahman. All pervasive. Here he is in one place. He's crying and his mother is about to chastise him, so he starts to run and she does catch him. Of course, why is she chasing him now? Because she's afraid he's going to run away and never come back. She's afraid I lose him. Then what? So she can run fast for that sake. And seeing her effort in this regard, of course, Krishna acquiesces. He allows himself to be tied, to be bound up by a rope to the mortar, Right? He's tied to that. It's a long, long story. How far can we go? Here's our connection now. We now segue into... I said there was a thread that tied these two <laughs> conceptions together. Right? How did she arrive at such love, at such a position, to actually tie Krishna up that he would be afraid and his omniscience would recede so far to the background that he would actually feel himself. I'm her son and I'm afraid she's going to chastise me and to put Bhagwan in such a position, what power of that love, and that he would allow himself to be tied up. What she did was she took a ribbon, the ribbon from her hair, and then the flowers fell out, and her hair flowed down, and with the ribbon, she tried to tie him, of course. And it was of sufficient length, but nonetheless it showed up two inches too short. And so, that meanwhile, the neighboring ladies who had been complaining, as I mentioned, that Krishna's coming to our houses and stealing yogurt, and they, they liked complaining, they, they found it quite charming, but excuse to talk about him and, and so forth. Now there was a commotion going on in the house. Krishna's wailing and crying. Some of his little friends are coming, and from their perspective, young friends his age there, they have a different perspective. Is he really afraid? They don't think he's afraid, but anyway... This will all be viewed from different angles, from Vatsali Bhav, from Gopi Bhav, from Sakya Bhav, and, and so forth, and from the Sadaka's position, and so forth. So at any rate, ladies are also all looking over, and they're finding it quite charming, and they see she's got him, but she can't tie him. It's, the ribbon's two inches too short, so they said, you know, you can't tie him. This is his destiny, and they have not be tied. You cannot change a child's destiny. This is it's set in his chart like this. He's going to never be tied up. And she said, I don't care what his destiny is. I'm going to tie him up. I have to use every bit of rope in the house here. And so they said, well, here, try this. You know, cowherds, as I said, they've got sticks and ropes. Pretty much that's what they do. When they have nothing to do, they, they just make rope, which is so useful for, for cowherding. 
So they begin to throw rope over the wall into the courtyard. She's tying it, and every time it's coming up two inches too short, and more rope and more rope. You can imagine what a spectacle this is. And every lady is going to her house and getting all the rope and throwing it over the courtyard, and still it's two inches too short. And all the rope of the whole of Vrindavan practically can't tie him up. And he's not getting fatter and fatter and fatter all the time. He's staying same size, medium size. He's everywhere, all pervasive. So you can understand, well, how could she tie him up? This is one of the teachings of the Leela. He's all pervasive. You can't, with all the rope in the world, with all the math, you cannot calculate him. With all the, the mathematics and that you could come up with, you cannot find the formula that equates, and you've got him on the chalkboard. You've explained him. No, beyond intellect. Unknown and unknowable. To love him, however, that is to know him. Bhakti is the highest knowledge. Not the brain, but the heart. By heart we know. Heart cannot be explained by the brain. We can try. And there is a math to the whole thing. There is some logic to life, but it transcends logic. Life is about love. Just as an aside, it bewilders me why there are so many Hindus, why they don't all worship Krishna. Because every one of them will agree, yes, Saraswati is about this, and Durga is about that. And Krishna, yes, he's a love god. He's a god of love. Yes, yes. So then why would you make anyone else your Ishta than Krishna? Because who wants anything other than love, really? Think about it. Whatever else you may want is only for the purpose of loving. We are all living only for love. So why do you worship anyone but Krishna? Krishna's two Bhagavan Sarma. It's very simple logic. They're not all equal manifestations of divinity. This is the very heart of the Absolute speaking to us through his Leela. The one who is so charming, attractive, compelling, and so profound at the same time, because love has a kind of knowledge in it that's implicit in it. It's a kind of knowing that's complete. When you love, you know what to do, and you act essentially. You understand? There's no peripheral extra baggage of knowledge. Love, it's pregnant with a knowledge of its own, a kind of knowing that ends all doubt, that satisfies the heart. And it's alive, too. We just say we cannot rest until we find love. And when we find it, it moves us in its own way. Movement again. We're moving, looking for love. We find it, do we rest? No. Then, she loves me, she loves me not. As they say, she loves me, she loves me not. And love is like a roller coaster and that we cannot get off. So Mother Yashoda, what kind of love for Krishna? She tries to tie him with all the rope, all the, and she cannot tie him. And then all of a sudden, the original ribbon with which she tried to tie him is enough, and she ties him. So this is the tie-in then to this shikshastakam, briefly. What is that? Mahaprabhu in his third verse said this, Trinadapisunichena tororapisahishnuna amaninamanadena kirtaniya sadahori. He's giving us kind of decorum for the devotee. If you want to know what are the rules of bhakti, these are the rules. Behave like this. Mahaprabhu said, one who chants the name in consideration of these four things, humility, tolerance, expecting no honor for oneself, giving all honor to others, this kind of chanting will bring praying. Kirtaniya sadhari. This kind of chanting will make your bhajan steady. This kind of bhajan, this kind of spiritual practice, is a spiritual practice in which one has really 
with the intellect sorted it out and understood what is of value in this life and they're going for that alone. False values have been seen for what they are, anarthas, dharm, artha, kam, moksha, bancha, kaitava. Krishnadas Kabir says, it's all darkness, tama, darkness, desire for dharma, artha, kama, and even moksha. But brain pumarto mahan, brain prayojan, one who sorted it out well with their intellect, they want this brain and only this brain. And they conduct themselves like this because they know, oh, this is such a wonderful thing. It is humbling the opportunity to have that. I will tolerate anything for that. I can tolerate anything to get that. I want no honor for myself. I will prepare to give all honor to others. Mahaprabhu says, who is like this in their disposition, their bhajan is steady. Their effort, the effort they make, that is unbreakable. So what is the connection between this kind of effort and this Dhamadar Leela? The two inches too short. Here we find the connection. Two inches. Why was it two inches? Was it three? Was it four sometimes? Always two inches. means two things. Two things are required to bind up Krishna, like Mother Yashoda. When I saw her, very beautiful, making her effort, and perspiring like anything she's described. Perspiring means big effort, consistent and determined effort. She's going to tie him up. She doesn't care what his chart says. She doesn't care what the neighbors say. She doesn't care that every rope in the place is two inches too short. Make more rope. I'm going to tie him up. I'm going to get him. This is what I want. I want nothing else. This is what I'm after. Get out of my way. This kind of bhakti. This is nishta. Do you understand? This is kirtaniya sadahari. I'm not going to let anything get in my way. I want this and this alone. Now our bhajan is not like that. We want it, but we want other things. So sometimes we chant, sometimes we don't. We hear a nice talk, we get inspired, we go home, and in a couple of days it's back to normal. We make a vrat, I will do this. I chant like this, I will practice like this, and then I will chant 25 rounds, and then the next day, two days, three days, it's 2.5 rounds. <laughs> then again, and this is unsteady. It means that there are some false values that we're still finding value in. Anartha, anartha. Anartha nivritti will be accomplished by artha pravritti, by understanding that which is actually a value, actually worth attaining and attainable. If we can come into clear understanding of that by good sangha, sadhu sangha, repeatedly, again and again, this is nishta, nasta praeshu abhadreshu nityam bhagwata sevaya. Now we're having bhagwata seva. We're hearing the bhagwat, damadar lila. And how many times you heard it? Oh, I know the story. Some will tell it. No, hear it again. Who thinks they've heard this story has never heard this story. If you think, I heard that. I heard that. Then you didn't hear it. Because you actually hear it. You take these points and they go not just in one ear and out the other, but they go in one ear and they go down into the heart and they cause some change. From this leela of prem, we are to draw some inspiration for our sadhana bhakti. From praying we will get inspiration for sadhana bhakti. How to go there? She's in praying, but she's showing us in her praying how to conduct ourselves as a serious sadhaka, nishta, one-minded only. One-minded. I want Krishna praying, and then nothing will get in my way. Nothing else has any value. We don't believe it. 
We believe it theoretically, but we don't act accordingly. We've understood it to some extent intellectually. But we need good sangha. We'll be, we'll be just forced by good company, pushed to take it up in our life, to embrace it exclusively. And Mahaprabhu says, when we do that, then with humble heart, and no time for criticizing others, no time, no time. I'm critical of myself now. Critical analysis here. I have to change. It's a conscious thing. It's not like ruchi, but nishta. It means I feel there is value in getting honor from others, but I know better. I'm not going to go after that. This is some conscious retiring of these false values. And with this kind of determination, Mahaprabhu says, when one chants with this kind of nishtita bhakti, nishta, fixed faith that is not koma, tender, you know, a person is their faith. A shadho yam ayam says, a person is his faith. A person is her faith. What we believe, what, that's what we are. Our faith is komal, komal, tender. So we believe it kind of with our head, but we haven't much experience. When you get a little experience, just a little experience, it's so confirming. That's why you nod your head. Because I had little experience, it's a good thing. You need more experience. It means serious, serious spiritual practice you have to do. Serious, heavy. This is Mahatma, Krishna says in Gita. The Dhridabrata, those Bratas are taken very seriously. Kartik Brat, Ekadasi Brat, whatever Brat my Gurudev has given me, you chant this number of rounds and this, so on and so forth. This will make you very beautiful also, this sadhana. This will keep you very young, healthy, happy, bright, this sadhana. And in the company of others, you'll be encouraged to be a sadhaka. We talked about that this morning. This is our life. What am I? Lawyer, doctor, man, woman. I'm a sadhaka. And all these other things are peripheral. This is what I'm doing. Those things I may need to do for some purpose, but I somehow connect it by the grace of my guru with what I'm really about, my bhakti. It's a whole lifestyle. So Dushodamaya is showing like this, with such determination. She's going to tie up Krishna and she doesn't care. If the whole brudge is laughing at her and saying it's impossible, she's going to tie him up. And when he sees this kind of determination, serious, serious spiritual practice, his heart is melting. Krishna's heart is melting. You did that for me? <laughs> You're that serious? And so many other things will come for a good devotee. So many other opportunities will come. And we will be, in other words, other pursuits. You can become psychologically balanced, a big thing. You could become wealthy, chanting Hare Krishna. You could become so many things, ignoring all such possibilities. Not that we shouldn't be balanced. That's okay, too. But we shouldn't stop there. Hmm? Use that to help us in our bhajan only. Anyway, the point is, when he sees this kind of determination, this kind of effort, I mean, she's perspiring. You have to try and try again. And why you do? Because it's like this. Because you know he's merciful. You know it. You've seen it. In the lives of others, you've seen it. It's happening. It could happen to me. It's possible. I know it. He's like that. He does that. So I'm committed here, no matter what. I'm not moving from here. I don't want, like that Chakora bird, Rupa Goswami gives the example. The Chakora, he only drinks the 
water that comes from the cloud before it touches the ground. So he's waiting for the rain. There's a lot of water on the ground already. No, won't take a drop. Only that comes from the sky without touching the ground. And he knows a lightning bolt might come and hit me on the head. Still, I'm not moving. Whatever comes down from there, I'll, act, I'll respond accordingly. But I only want that pure thing. Krishna Prem, I only want that. This nishtas is like this. When we show that kind of practice, then what happens? From that effort, that is one inch, comes the second inch. Ripa, mercy. Krishna gives his mercy. When he saw her effort, then he agreed to be tied up. Then the ribbon was sufficient. Think about it. She tied him with a ribbon. And then what did he do with the ribbon for the entertainment of his friends? He wedged the mortar in such a way between the two trees standing in the courtyard. And he pulled the mortar and pulled down the tree. So how tight was that ribbon? How strong was that ribbon? You see? It's not a rope he was tied with a ribbon, but affection, love. How strong it was. You think a ribbon could hold up like that to pull down two trees? The ribbon didn't break. How strong was her affection? How great was his mercy? Allow himself to be tied up like this, completely captured in her grip. And of course, you know, there's a background to this too. He's controlled by bhakti. So by Mother Yashoda, he allowed to be tied up. And then Nard also. Nard Muni, he gave some benediction. His devotee gives some benediction. It will have to come to pass. So those two trees were standing there for a reason, right? They were the sons of Kuber. They had made some offense. Nard cursed them to become trees in the courtyard of Nandamarsh. What a blessing. Towering up there, these two Jamalarjun trees, how many leelas they saw in that courtyard of Krishna. And this one in particular. No one knows it better. Then, as they say, for the entertainment of his friends, he wedged the border between the trees and they crashed down. Oh, my God. Then uh, Mother Nanda Maharaj come running back from the preparations for the Invert Yagya. What happened? Big trees fell down in the courtyard. Could have crushed him like this. Krishna runs inside. Mother Yasoda is looking. You tied him up. You tied our son up to the... How could you do this? Krishna won't go to her goes to Nanda Maharaj, and he says, well, this, you know, go, get going. No, I don't, I don't know. She tied me up. <laughs> Nanda Maharaj had to go milk a couple of cows, put some rock candy in it. He wouldn't go and drink from her breast. Finally, Rohini convinced her. Then he ran back to his mother. Mommy. Like this. Those two trees also, they then took birth as Snigdakanta and Madhukanta, two uh, minstrels in the brudge distant relatives of Nanda Maharaj. And they told the whole Leela. When everybody came back to Golok, they used to go and tell people's lives by singing songs. So when they came to town, it was known that they were omniscient. And Nanda Maharaj wanted to test them. So he said, let's make an assembly and you can tell about our lives. So they did. And with such, they understood the feelings of everyone. They were amazed, Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda. And of course they got to this Damodar Leela and then it was revealed they were those two trees. Such is the blessing of Nard and such is the, the um, commitment of Bhagavan Krishna to the word of his devotees. So get the blessing of devotees to practice and take it seriously and practice. 
like Mahaprabhu was recommended in Shikshastakam. He said, this kind of practice, that's the kind of chanting that will beget Prem. With that kind of effort, mercy is at hand. So with this, we'll pause for a moment. Are there any questions? Yes. How can you generally imbibe that mood? I know I, I need to be low in the spot in the street, but I'm not that humble. I need to be natural to it. I can fake that. How can I really, from my heart, imbibe that mood? Even though I know I'm not. Mahaprabhu says, Do daiva midisham mi hajni nanuraga. He said, Nam nama kari bahudami desarva shakti statrarpita niyamita smarinakala. Name is so merciful, of Krishna, so merciful. But I have no attraction. This is my problem. It's my problem. Krishna is attractive, accessible through his name, readily accessible, so easily, and all the shakti is in his name, and I have no attraction. The problem is mine. The cause is aparad, offense, from the background, previous life, in this life, and so forth. This is keeping me in this condition. So one has to feel a little bit, contemplate these things, and understand what is my misfortune, and then that will bring a little kind of humility. And if you chant with that in mind, then Krishna will stay with you in spite of your condition. And if he stays with you, in other words, allow you to continue chanting, and gradually as more knowledge and understanding comes, nishta implies some understanding. So nishta is about this, who constantly hears Bhagavatam. Bhagavatam is a, really a commentary on the sutras. Vedanta Sutra is the logic of all the Upanishads. So one who gets that in their head has got their head on straight, so to speak. It's hard then to avoid and act otherwise without feeling very much hypocritical. So this is the secret then. You have to hear Bhagwat and you have to hear in good association from sadhus. This will help you. This is the only thing that can help us to go from that condition of knowing theoretically what I should be like but not feeling like that good company, so seek it out. And if you say, well, there's no good company where I live, then move. Because <laughs> you want it, you have to do something. Yeah. The opportunity is coming, but you have to make some effort. That's the point here tonight, right? You have to make some effort. So, yeah, you, you, you're not that humble. That's true. Of course, humility means here, not in an abstract sense, but humble before, before Bhagawan, so to do his bidding. It doesn't mean you just become a meek person or something like that, but humble in relation to the service of Bhagwan, and what that service will be, that will come to us through Gurudev. So, before the Sri Guru, before the teaching, and so forth. But, um, you know, the problem is the lack of humility that we may have and our inability to be as humble as we should, it's really stemming from this lack of acquaintance with the subject matter. That's why I say you've got to repeatedly hear and hear in good association because the more you hear it, the more it becomes clear where you are, what you are, and what Bhagwan is, what the difference is, what the Brajali is, what offer opportunity is being made by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We don't hear it enough. It's like, you know, in anything. How many years did you go to school? So many years you learned this and that. What is your occupation? I'm in computers. So? You have a degree in college and advanced degree and so many things, so. Therefore, you're good in your field, and you can provide for your family and so forth. But it took quite a bit of learning, and maybe you learned it all in India, and had to come here and learn it again. At least the doctors are like that, you know. They become a doctor, and they have to come here and learn it all again by U.S. standards and so forth. And I know 
some uh, devotees, they like must have been med school for like, I don't know how many years in India, then they come here and there's another eight or ten years and all this, there's a lot of effort, right, and all that, studying all those things, right? Therefore, they become proficient in their field and they can earn well. So if you want the wealth of Prem, Prem Dhan, you have to put in some time. <laughs> you understand? The more you put in the time, the more acquainted you really become with the subject matter and then your relationship with the subject it will fall into place automatically. Who's who and what's your position in comparison? So this is what's required. More of the same, in other words. When a talk in good company causes you to ask that question, to be introspective and to think about it and so forth, then that's doing good for you, right? So you need more of that, more company. More of the same. That's why I said, Nasta Praeshu Abhadreshu. This is a statement from Bhagavatam. Bhagavatam says, Nasta Praeshu Abhadreshu. All abhadra, inauspicious things, my pride, my distraction, my material attachment, all these things. Nasta praeshu abhadreshu nityam bhagavata sevaya. Nityam bhagavata sevaya. doesn't say, come to talk on Sunday for feast. Meet my friends. Haribo, how are you? How is your family? How is my family? This is not, this is not nityam bhagavata sevaya. You can make this a religious experience. Or you can make this a spiritual experience. If you make this a religious experience, it means you add this on to your life. You have a religion. You can be a good and pious human being and you will get some good result from that. But if you make this a spiritual, if you have a spiritual orientation, that's another thing. Then you can understand, I'm not a human. Brahma Jignashu. Not just Dharma Jignashu and Prem Jignashu, Rasa Jignashu, beyond that. So, you know, this is our plight. Mostly, the devotees have a religious orientation. We add this on to our life. It's part of our life. If we hear about it enough, this is our tendency. We want to acquire knowledge in this world. Everybody wants knowledge so because all actions are informed by knowledge. We want to act perfectly so we can be perfectly happy. So we seek the kind of knowledge that we think will make us happy. If I get knowledge in this, I'll be able to earn a certain amount. That will make me happy, for example. So we're all looking for perfect happiness, and in order to act in a way that we can be perfectly happy, we require perfect knowledge. So to be Krishna conscious is to be perfectly happy, but because we don't understand that perfectly, therefore we tend to acquire knowledge and make it part of our agenda, how to make myself happy. But the news from above, so to speak, is that there's a kind of knowledge that's alive and it has an agenda of its own. And you cannot make it part of your agenda or if you do, you only get a semblance of what that knowledge really is. But if you listen to it enough, you find out it has an agenda of its own and I'm on it. It has something to ask of me. Not that I can use it for my purpose, but it has a purpose. And its purpose far exceeds, in every respect, any purpose that I could come up with between my ears as to like what would make me, any, how I could be happy, what I could attain. So then, as we hear enough that this is Nityam Bhagavad Seva, what happens is, by hearing Bhagavad and serving the person who personifies that teaching of the Bhagavad, we start to realize this thing's talking to me. This wants me. It has something for me to do, not that it has something to do for me. It's not serve to serve me. I'm to serve it. That's in my self-interest. Like Kennedy said, 
think not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. You know, something like it's kind of Gandhian, if you will, you know. <laughs> but to a higher level. You want Swaraj, they will come here. Look at India. <laughs> How free is it now? This is the real freedom. Swaraj and more Prem, that is freedom. That is liberation. But it's alive. Reality is not some dead thing that you can just use in, in, in your dead life. Material life is dead. It's decoration of a dead body only. That's all. Bhagavad Bhaktihi Nasya Jati Shastram Japatapa Apanasaibadehasya Mandanam Lokaranjanam. It's like they cut the head of the chicken and it just runs around and runs around. Is it alive? Because our life is like that. <laughs> Material life. Then our mind and our intellect wants to take that life, real life, that descends and rather than be changed by it, change it and take the life out of it. Make it fit into my agenda. But if you have good company, that good company won't allow you to do that. Make it very, very difficult for you to do that. You realize this thing, this knowledge is different. It has an agenda of its own and, and I'm on it. It is asking of me. Life has to change. It's a good company. Therefore, Nityam Bhagavad Therefore, I say the answer to your question is more of the same. Whatever caused you to ask that question. And think about that. And why can't I? And that's the beginning of doing that, you see. So you could be in that, that situation where you're regularly making that kind of inquiry. It means by good company. Food is cooked gradually, right? But you have to have the stove on, right? You have to have the fire on. Fire means good company. Then you will cook gradually, you understand, in that good company. Otherwise, you don't keep good company. Gradually, the stove's not even on. You think, what are you talking about? When's the dinner? You've got to turn on the fire. Right? So fire means good company. Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. What else? Long answer for a short question. Yes, sir. Yeah, you said that like, Kunti Devi is bewildered by the love and devotion of Rajlila. And uh, initially, most devotees think of like putting themselves in the hand of Bhagavan, that whatever he wants to do with us, he can do. But uh, as you advance, then you kind of control Bhagavan. But like when we say the Sikshastikam, the last verse of Sikshastikam is still reaching only that level because he's saying that whatever Krishna does to me, I am still, still he is my worshipful God, even if he rejects me. Mm -hmm. So like, it's like even beyond the, the last verse. Well, really, in one sense, that attitude is what is endearing Krishna and making Krishna a plaything in the hand of Radha. So the, the moving strongly in the direction of I'm his belong to him only causes that that attitude causes that to come from him and that that to change right that's the dynamic not that we just jump there Krishna will do what I want <laughs> you know? the basis of that Krishna doing whatever I want is that I only want to do what Krishna wants so he's ready to put himself in my hands because I only want to please him he's convinced of that and I know how to please him it's a high thing so anyway, we came a little late and we talked for a while, so I don't want to talk for too much longer. I have a tendency like that, so forgive me. But um, we'll chant Dhammadarastakam briefly, as was requested, and then take some prasad. Sri Krishna Bhagavan ki jai, Goranga Mahaprabhu ki jai, Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Bhakti Vrindu ki jai, Gaur Premanande.